Looking for an assist with your credit card, but you can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Welcome to the Athletic MBA Show. Monday through on the Athletic Podcast Network. From the Golden Gate to the New York Bay. What I have access to is a bit different than the public. Tamper with you. Welcome to tampering. We're this beautiful game of basketball that we all love and talk about every single day. Sam Amy, Anthony Slater, uh-huh. and Fred Katz. To be able to bring people together. Do, Reportedly at the center of an NBA investigation. Into tampering accusations. And the message to executives in the league is stop talking about players on other teams. What did I do? The charges filed. Impermissible contact. Right or wrong. Tampering charges are really difficult to prove. You know me, I talk. Very <laughs> <laughs> awkward to even talk about it. I can't even mention teams anymore. Actually, what I like to put in Kevin Durant. The trial, you're one with tampering. They're always ahead of the rules. It's not rocket science. I didn't tamper. I'm just telling you what happened. I'm just telling you what happened. Here's your host, Sam Amick. Hello and welcome to the Tampering Podcast, part of the Athletic NBA Show Network. I'm Sam Amick, NBA National Writer here at The Athletic, coming at you with a late November pod. My guy, Anthony Slater, out west. Fred Katz, out east. Gentlemen, what's going on? Sir? Let's go, let's go. Somebody jump in. <laughs> uh, I'm doing fantastic, Sam. How are you? Um, I'm ready to talk about what are we talking? What exactly are we talking about today, Fred? This is a Fred Katz idea. This is a Fred Katz special. So it's deep enough in the season. And Fred, I'm going to throw it to you this way. I mean, this is the time of year where it's somewhat of a purgatory, right? Because the early season is is still continuing. We're almost to that kind of 25 game stretch where we might, you know, really substantively start breaking things down. Uh, but we are not quite to the time of year that where it gets a, a lot more exciting when you're talking trade season in mid uh, December you've got rosters opening up in terms of possibilities the February trade deadline a couple of months past that but this uh, at, at Fred's uh, kind of guidance and leadership here is the pod where we're going to talk about which teams which players which front offices you know all of the above need to turn around and, and might in fact do so Fred do I have that about right is that what we're getting into today Yes. I mean, I figured just predicting, not even necessarily need to, but just predicting turnarounds. The so ones we see coming. Going through, yeah, things that things that aren't going great right now, but we, we think are going to change. And I think just for good measure. a positive spin on, on some negativity. Well, yeah, but I'd be remiss if I didn't. We're going to add in a little bit of negativity, I think, on the back end. I think Can't we, we do have the, like, you hey, will. you're yes. playing decently, yes. but like you're about to tank. Right. Right. I'm going to put it this way. My teaser is any the regular listeners of the show will know what this means. I will be fined and, and you know, by way of Fred's swear jar by the end of this pod based on the teams that, that might not turn around. We'll get into that later. Of course. But uh, Fred's, <laughs> I know you're shocked. Oh, we got we got a yeah. Lakers segment on the way. Hey, like you're giving me. it away, man. Giving it away. All right, Fred, top of mind for you uh, when, when you were, you know, kind of baking this idea. Uh, who, who came to mind first? Where, where are you taking us? All right. Well, 
I th- I thought, by the way, about leading the fact that Jakob Pertl is allowing 68% shooting at the rim right now, and that there's no way that that's going to continue, especially if they trade him to a good situation, but I'm not going to do that. Well, Fred I'm not going to be- do that. Because one of those situations happens to be potentially the Warriors with, with this James Wiseman situation they're trying to handle. Tell me why Jakob Pertl is not defending like he previously was, because if you are a team like the Warriors or another team, you should probably figure out why he's not defending that way. Yeah, you know, quite honestly, I haven't dug in enough to the to the Jakob Pertl like, film fraudulent. to really know exactly why. I imagine it has a little something to do with the fact that the Spurs just don't really have like he is the he is just taking drivers to the face all the time right now, and it's that's going to be tough on anyone. The they Rudy also have Go- so many guys in and out of the lineup all the time. The Rudy Gobert I syndrome. I think it's just tough. Yeah, I do have something that I unironically wanted to discuss, though, a turnaround that I am predicting. Uh, Let's talk about the Dallas Mavericks role players. They just can't hit a three. They can't hit a three, and I just refuse to believe that this is going to continue. Tim Hardaway has a 46% effective field goal percentage. I mean, the Mavs are 9 and 10 at the time of us recording this. Tim Hardaway has a 46% effective field goal percentage. Uh, Reggie Bullock is shooting 28% from three. And Reggie Bullock, who, by the way, gets off to a to a molasses-like slow start every single year. And then in the second half, for some reason, I don't know if he needs to change his summer workout regimen or if what the heck it is, uh, but... But he he just gets off to a slow start every year and then eventually turns it around. Maxi Kleba shooting 31% from three. Um, you know, they just they're role players who should be shooting well from three. You know, Hardaway's at 29% and 31 from the field. Like they're role players who are normally like like Tim Hardaway is a reliable three-point shooter. Like we can talk about the warts in his game and all, but he's that coming dude off hits a, threes. He is coming off a pretty bad injury. Like he broke his foot, like missed the whole season. So, you know, rusty, I'm sure he's trying to shake off. But also, like, you never know if guys are gonna be the same players after these type of injuries. It's like at times that can debilitate a body. I don't know where Tim Hardaway Jr.'s career is going from here, but I think that's like a notable part of it. And big picture, yeah, of I course, guys, this is not good, right? The Mavs, I'm trying to pull their schedule up at the moment. They've lost four in a row. Um, and Warriors on Tuesday in Dallas. Warriors on, I mean, that's a tough one. The, your your dubs are playing better, uh, especially got that second road win, Slater. That was a big oh one. Oh, my. They're rolling yes, now on the road. Two and nine. Yeah, I need, you know, and I know we're going to kind of zone in on those role players, Fred, and, and let you dig in uh, even more. But big picture, y- you look at Luka right now. And it's one of the more uh, puzzling might not be the right word, but you know, in a vacuum, he would be, I think, most people's leading MVP candidate at the moment. But they're nine and ten, uh, and then you know, part of being an MVP, of course, is is kind of rising uh, the, the the tide, if you will, and the guys around you, and that's not happening. So I think if if this trend continues, you know, we're going to have a tricky MVP discussion as it surrounds Luca because it's not. I thought about it in the context of Jokic winning back to back in Denver, where to me. Okay, a guy carrying a team that doesn't have enough around him. Uh, it's different from a narrative standpoint when a guy loses players due to injury, as opposed to oh, the organization, you know, let Jalen Brunson get away and just simply didn't build in the kind of way that, that people were hoping for. So yeah, Dallas is is uh, struggling a bit right now. You know, their metrics signal that the record's a little deceiving. They actually have the ninth best net rating in the league. They're positive. You know, they're nine and ten, but you know their point differential is positive. Uh, so, I mean, that's 
maybe that evens out over the course of the season. Obviously, they're struggling struggling right now, but you know, I'm looking 12th best defensive rating. Where are they offensive rating? This is why can I? Uh, so they're 12th best offense, 12th best defense right now. It's kind of you know that would be typically better than a nine and ten team. Sure. Well, Fred, uh, so. within that, what does your crystal ball tell you about young Christian Wood? Because for me, he's an important part here and and you know i read some stuff this morning from colleague and friend mark stein about how the, the mavs record when christian plays big minutes is not pretty and that uh jason kidd continues to struggle because defensively you know christian is, is a liability he's one of those guys that after they lost brunson you know they were hoping that that christian would pop but so far it, it's been tricky yeah i mean the numbers are really good but but like you said, like the on offs are not great, and they're obviously really concerned about his defense. They're they're playing Dwight Powell at the five right now, according to Cleaning the Glass. By the way, they're about a point per hundred possession uh, worse when Wood is on the floor defensively. Uh, it's going to be really interesting to see how that continues because you just know Jason Kidd does not trust him defensively right now. But the numbers are good, and he's one he's one of the guys what, shooting it. What are they offensively when he's on the floor compared? Way better. That's what I'm saying. Like, I understand that, you know, part of the way that Jason Kidd overhauled that entire situation last year, and it worked, was like defenders and Luka, they they, they created a defensive mindset that we didn't really even think could be created out of their personnel. It was impressive what Jason Kidd did last season. But, you know, adjust to your roster. Your new roster includes Christian Wood. To me, they're still better when Christian Wood's on the floor, even if you might not like what he does, you know, in minor ways defensively. You're a better team. I mean, you could argue he's their second best player. I don't, I mean, that is probably an issue in itself that he might be their second best player, but you could argue that's their second best player and he needs to play more. Yeah. I mean, I don't have a problem at all with him coming off the bench because their their starting lineup with with Dwight Powell in there has actually been really good. They're like plus ten per hundred possessions with Dwight Powell in the starting lineup. But but yeah, I mean, I, I'm with you. I mean, I feel like the best version of this team is one that figures out a way to make it work on both sides of the floor with with Christian Wood. Like they're they're not going to reach the best version of themselves if Christian Wood is you know 24 minutes a game and and not in there in the in, in the most important moments. What a weird off season, right? They make the Christian Wood trade and and Jason Kidd is basically acting as if like. It was a trade for a bench player, and that was about it. And he was kind of their big acquisition. And then they they give multiple years to Javale McGee, and and Javale has 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 you know it was a weird contract at the time, and and it's it's kind of been disappointing since. It's just what a weird weird. Why add off-season. two centers like that? You know they they used a, an important tool to get Javale McGee. You know mid level money, and I remember at the time, and this is you know. Sam, you probably remember this, but the Mavericks were kind of kicking the tires on Gary Payton II. And obviously, Gary Payton II hasn't played a game yet, so I'm not here to argue that he would have changed their team. But, like, you probably should have got, like, more of a wing, you know, perimeter guy. Like, you know, consider like Wood and JaVale, while letting Brunson walk, kind of made a roster imbalance. Okay, well, let's, let's, we have to mention one thing. We have to mention one thing. What do we think of the Kemba Walker edition? Do we think it's, there's anything to it? I mean, I do not. No, I mean, listen, it's been an interesting year when it comes to former all-stars, you know, having to kind of face father time, if you will. There's a bunch of them still out of work. There's, there's guys like, you know, Mr. Westbrook, who we're not allowed to talk about who have to have role adjustments. Uh, But you reach that stage of your career, you know, there's a reason Kemba was on the shelf, I think 
for as long as he was, you know, who knows? Maybe we'll be stunned. We'll be wrong. I don't see it coming. I don't see that as, as an impact move at all. Yeah, I think you're right. Kemba, Kemba just struggled to create his own shot so much last year. I mean, you covered him, right? Like I covered him. Yeah, I mean, he had some really big games. He just really struggled to to create his own shot. He couldn't get to the rim. The 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 paint opportunities are just way way down, and uh, you know the the scoring burst didn't come enough to justify the defense. Yeah, and that's the thing we're talking. We were just talking about Christian Wood trying to survive exactly. Defensively. Yeah, it's a little antithetical to what Kid is doing to uh, to go the Campbell route on big minutes. So we'll see. So Fred, I can't read you here when it comes to the turnarounds. Are we predicting a turnaround for these Mavs who? By the way, four in a row is not even putting it well enough. They've lost seven out of ten after starting nine and three, so a, a tough, tough slide. But but is uh, is this a turnaround prediction on your part? Yes, it is a turnaround because I think their role players are just going to shoot better. Like I okay. do not think Reggie Bullock is ending the year anywhere near twenty eight percent on threes. I do not think that Tim Hardaway is going to continue to shoot this poorly. Uh, I, I just, I think their role players are going to pick it up. They get good shots. They create a lot of open threes. Luca is a machine at creating those sorts of threes. Uh, by the way, Luca's only 31% from three, two, uh, as great as he's been. And he started off really slow shooting from three last year and then totally turned it around in the second half. So I, I just think they're, they're going to be a three that, a team that makes way more threes in the last 60 games of the season. I think they are, they're going to climb offensively. Luca's just, just too good for you not to. All right. Very good stuff. Um, I'm going to move on in this way, guys, 12 minutes in, we are slightly adjusting the framing of our discussion today. The turnaround topic remains, but I think you know, let's pick a few teams where it, it essentially looks like that, you know, they, they got this fork in the road and they have to go one way or the other. And, and I think we're going to have differing opinions on which way these different teams are going to go, but I want to throw it Slater's direction with a squad that his team played against just last night, because we've talked about them a lot. The Minnesota Timberwolves with their too big approach that is very different than a lot, some of the other too big approaches out in Cleveland and things of that nature. Um, you know, they get smacked around by the Warriors. They are currently sitting at 10 and 10. We had John Krasinski on the pod. Was that last week, Slater? I think it was last week. Two weeks ago? Two weeks ago, I think, maybe. Okay. JK talking about, you know, the one of the more fascinating teams in the league, and we continue to see an, kind of a uh, an up-and-down performance. You know, last night was not good. Um you know, that was their second loss in a row. They'd won five in a row before that. They were kind of finding their sea legs. Um, how are you guys seeing the the latest on the, the T-Wolf front? I mean, yesterday was a concerning performance. You know, at home, matinee, marquee. You know, I think it's, you know, I think the Wolves love those Sunday afternoon, like, you know, bring a marquee opponent in and, and, and kind of showcase themselves. And, like, they were just low energy. Um the Warriors were going right at Gobert. Not only is Jordan Poole, who, you know, has been inefficient to start the season. He had one of his better games off the bench, but he's like driving right at Gobert and finishing over him. And you can hear Draymond through the, you know, wiring of the rim, yelling like right at his in chest, right at his chest. And there's a video, I, of course, like Gobert tries a post move and fumbles a ball and falls down and, and the Warriors are pushing it up court and Draymond's just sitting there laughing at Gobert. Um, 
because we know Draymond and Gobert's history, and and you know Draymond does not mind, I think, embarrassing Rudy. But uh, you know, he, Draymond played a lot of center in that game, and the Warriors out rebounded the Wolves thirty nine twenty five. I think six offensive rebounds the whole game for Minnesota, eight for the Warriors, even though they're playing tiny, um, and one hundred thirty seven points. Right, even ha- as Minnesota was supposed to be kind of solving some of their this offensive puzzle that is I think hard to put together. It's supposed to be able to defend, right? You got Rudy Gobert in the regular season. Like don't give up 47 in the first quarter in that game, 137 total. And you know who I thought had a bad game? Anthony Edwards. Uh and I mean just from an energy standpoint, like, you know, he just if you look at it was blown rotation. It was getting blown by by pool on the perimeter. Uh, Jonathan Kaminga was coming off the bench and like he's had his own energy problems this season, but he was locked in and and Edwards wasn't. He was pressing full court and causing turnovers because Edwards was kind of being a little lackadaisical. Again, we've talked about it plenty, but just the vibes emanating have not been great. You know what's really a problem for them? It, part of the justification for the Rudy Gobert trade was how they lost that series to Memphis in the playoffs last year, which was Brandon Clark flying everywhere to get offensive rebounds. They were one of the worst defensive rebounding teams in the league last year, and it really showed. And part of the justification for the Rudy Gobert trade was, well, this is one guy who is going to mask over the team's biggest issues, just one person, right? He's going to mask over the rim protection stuff because he's Rudy Gobert, and he's going to mask over the defensive rebounding stuff because he's Rudy Gobert. They are 25th in defensive rebounding right now, and and this team was put together to be awesome at that, not to like get up out of the bottom five or bottom 10. But in order for this team to be really good, they have to be awesome at that. They have to end possessions. And right now, when when another team misses a shot, that other team is getting the rebound almost a third of the time, like 31% of the time. And that's just, for a team built the way that it's built, that's not what you can have. And I actually think most of it is on the wings and the guards. They just don't really have rebounding. None of them are reboundable. Uh, it's really just go bare in town with all the rebounds and and defensive rebounding. Like you have to be Anthony Edwards has got to put a body on somebody who's who's crashing in from the wing. Like you you have to be able to have that sort of um, coordination as as a defense. And to me, a, a team built like that and, and they're not grabbing defensive rebounds. They're bottom ten by the way in offensive rebounding too. If that's the case, it's just like you are not going to come close to your ceiling if you don't solve that. Yeah, that, yeah. I mean, just watching it yesterday was bad because, like, the Warriors aren't a great rebounding team. <laughs> they just, they should. The Warriors are trying to find a win way to win that game. Typically, despite the rebound disadvantage, it was like no, they also had an advantage in that category. And remember, early in the season when um, NBA came out with his NBA rank, and I think one of the stories I remember John noting it Krasinski but it was like they were the only team in the league that had three I think it was either top 20 or top 25 players you know Towns Gobert Edwards were all considered top 25 and it did feel a little early on Edwards but it was like you know I think it was trying to foresee it but that just hasn't happened and I think that to me there's a lot of issues including I don't think Towns and Gobert fit together but like this is also a team that doesn't seem to be unlocking the best version of Anthony Edwards did you guys see the quote from Austin Rivers off the game Something about them not playing big, even though they are big. Yeah, our, from our buddy, Mr. Krasinski. Uh, this is Austin Rivers talking about that loss against the Warriors. 
if we are going to play big, we got to dominate in the paint. If we're going to play big, we got to be big. Their big man was Draymond. <laughs> I mean, kind of laying it bare in a way that Austin likes to. Um, yeah, turnaround-wise, fellas, um, I don't know where I'm at. I, in terms of, listen, title contending status, which is actually something that kind of got talked about coming into the year, at least from the standpoint of the Minnesota trying to swing for the fences. Uh, you know, you're not going to have anybody in the league predicting that at this point. I mean, we're literally, I think, legitimately talking about is Minnesota going to make sure they secure a playoff spot? I know, again, it's very early, uh, but we are almost to that quarter point, and they're sitting there in the 10th spot in the West. This is not what they had in mind. So and with, with that framing of it, I personally would not be predicting a turnaround of, of any exceptional degree. Uh, how are you guys seeing it? I, I think they're going to, like, make the playoffs. I don't. I didn't like the Gobert trade at the time. Are they going to win a series? Like Let, let's at least say that much. You know what I mean? Like, like you know, playoffs is the idea of them missing the playoffs was inconceivable after they made that trade. But, but are they going to be good enough to to even win a series in the playoffs? Man, they got to no, get the right matchup because don't yeah. they just scream a team that like, you know, they're going to have real trouble with certain kinds of teams in the playoffs? And I'm looking, and I'm like, almost every kind of team, right? Uh, you know, that was all like even when they made the trade, you're like, eh, they might win a lot of regular season games, but you know, when it comes down to it, one of the are they gonna be able to play both those guys in a playoff setting in crunch time? Right. Um uh, uh, I'm not predicting some rosy end to their season. No, I'm not. Yeah, Fred, I'm same page. Boat. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good yeah, stuff. I don't see them winning a playoff series. The West is deep. Like there are a lot of good teams. The West is weirdly you know? deep, but also like feels thinner than it ever has. Well, like, it's deep, but good. then like you know, a, a parody from top to bottom. Call it parody. Call it you know, too much mediocrity. Um, yeah, right. But it's like, but they're we know we know Denver's going to get better because I mean I have like Jamal Murray on my list of predicting a turnaround. I just assume he's going to get healthier like and feel one. better, yeah. and he's yeah. off to a slow start. And I think Denver will be better. Phoenix is just as good as they were last year. Memphis hasn't had met with its entire rotation healthy and it's 13 and eight or 12 and eight right now. Uh, New Orleans is 11 and eight, but is, I think they're better. Like they are underplaying their net rating big time and, and have real potential. The Clippers are 12 and nine and they haven't had Kawhi and they can't score and they're still doing stuff. I mean like, but they got Zubots yeah. baby. Oh, man. 29, 29 rebounds. That is insane. It's just like <laughs> those that's five teams right there for and, and Golden State is turning it on. So it's like yeah. that's six teams right there. Yeah, like, yeah. Now we're talking about being in playing range. Indeed. All right. Before we get to we're gonna go to Denver in a minute here, Fred, because you mentioned them. Um and I'm throwing this at you guys uh, out of left field, but can we talk about the Pacers a little bit? Not necessarily, I mean, it's a little bit yeah. of a turnaround thing. They're playing well. So if anything, it's are we predicting a a, a downturn, if you will. Um, but even beyond what direction they're going in, they are quickly becoming, I think, one of the most interesting teams in the league because of the question roster-wise of, of what they're going to do here. You know, today, as we do this pod, uh, you've got the Lakers and Pacers competing this evening down in L.A. That sparks all kinds of storylines about the Miles Turner, Buddy Heald for Russell Westbrook trade possibility that remains that the Lakers had had essentially turned their nose at in the, heading into the season but are known to still be chewing on. You know, they didn't want to give up their two firsts in that deal. Um, they are concerned about, 
you know, doing a trade with that many assets that's not going to make them a title contender. You guys know that story well. But from the Pacers' side, um, here's where, to me, it's so interesting. You know, their owner, Herb Simon, 88 years old, I believe, at this point, widely known to be somebody who, for a very, very long time now, has preferred competing, even if it's, you know, a mediocre level of competing, over rebuilding. That that in that small market, you know, he just wants to, you know, essentially kind of give the fans a reason to come out, have a team that's competitive. If you can find a way to be a title contender like they were back in the Frank Vogel, Paul George days, then that's great. But, you know, has been against stripping the thing down completely in terms of a rebuild. Um, so not only did the Pacers have the Lakers tonight, but they have the Kings on Wednesday, which then, you know, brings up young Tyrese Halliburton, right? So you have Tyrese doing incredible things, leading the league in assists, looking like a rising star. He is a rising star. But then, you know, if you're Tyrese, every day you go to work right now, you don't, you know, be thankful that you've got a Miles Turner and a Buddy Hield. And obviously, you know, Benedict Matherin is going to be there a long time. Um, but, you know, the front office with Kevin Pritchard leading the way could pick up the phone at any point do the Lakers deal, do some other deal, and it's going to completely change the tra- uh, trajectory of what they're doing this year. Uh, we can't read, you know, Kevin's mind and, and Herb's mind, but uh, what should the sense? Uh, what sense do you guys have there as far as where they take this? Well, first, Sam Amick, you had a perfect chance to plug a story that we'll have coming in the Athletic on I was Tuesday. Throwing, it's a lob, baby. I was throwing it. It was a lob? You. Okay. Yeah. I didn't know if it was just a whiff, a strikeout. Uh, we, we, me and Sam will be kind of rehashing, revisiting the Demonis Sabonis, Tyrese Halliburton trade before that game Wednesday because those two franchises are randomly now connected very much because that was such a kind of a, you know gamble trade from both sides, uh, I guess. But uh, as far as the Pacers go, you know, I think if the they shouldn't obsess about the moment. They shouldn't obsess about the fact that they are an encouraging eleven and eight. Because I think you, you could go back last season when they when they made this a bonus trade, went to Halliburton, and in a lot of ways kind of did, you know, fold the tents late in the season. I was looking at their just through this story that we we're doing, I was looking at their uh, schedule last year. They lost their last ten. They really plummeted late in the season. What did that produce? Benedict Matherin. You know what I mean? If you're if you're trying to convince your owner like uh, oh, the the benefits of committing to you know somewhat of a it could be a soft rebuild. You don't have to get the first pick. Obviously, you'd love it this season, um, but you can get game changers if you're at five and six compared to if you're at ten, eleven. Sometimes. And I think Although, to to interject real quickly, Slater, yeah. I, I, and I think I'm accurate on this. They could have. I think they're going to have three firsts next year. They have um, Cleveland. I mean, the, Boston the other two and the Brogdon deal. Is that right? Let me pull it up here. I shouldn't have spoke that soon. I'll pull it up. But yeah, they they've got two late firsts coming their way in addition to their pick. Yeah. So I just mean you know to me I understand if Halliburton's like you know I really need Miles Turner or Heal, but like this is a long term. They found their backcourt. Everything beyond those two. I mean, you could throw Duarte in there. He's a nice young player, but like generally you're building around those two, and uh, you that. You, you don't need to be obsessive about being 11 and 8. What, what I see as far as the numbers is like they're shooting like crazy, right? Miles Turner, 43% from three. Matherin, 42% from three. Uh, Nemhard, 40. Buddy Heal, 37 on 9.8 attempts per game. They're just shooting really well. They're scoring. Rick Carlisle's got them like playing at a very fast pace. Um, I Maybe they could stay fringe playing, but that's about it in my opinion. Look, it, I- Something that I'm writing for tomorrow morning is how part of the reason that the Knicks are underwhelmingly nine and eight or nine and nine, eight, nine and eleven is because they just consistently lose the three point game. 
like they're just giving back points from beyond the arc. Helps when you have a lot of guys who can chuck it. Matherin, by the way, is so fun. And every time I watch him play, I think, could a rookie ever win sixth man of the year? Because if the Pacers make the playoffs and Matherin just continues to come off the bench and is averaging an efficient 19 a game and is dunking on dudes left and right uh, and is a huge contributor to that fast pace that they play. And their bench lineups, by the way, are that's part of the reason they're really good. They're just killing teams with their bench. Like, could could Matherin be the first rookie to win six man of the year? It's obviously way too early to not if they trade for Russell Westbrook and he comes and takes that job, Fred. I, you know what? That that's a twelve million dollar fine right there. That is a ridiculous fine. That is Russ an absurd is going injection. To by the way, I'm I'm finding you. By the way, I'm finding you. By the way, for taking this joyous eleven and eight Pacers start <laughs> where they're fun and Tyrese Halliburton, like like people have to stop saying Tyrese Halliburton is gonna be an All Star because he is an All Star right now and Matherin is fantastic. They've got inspiring young players. Miles Turner's having a career year. He's killing it defending the rim. They're 11 and 8. Pacers fans are excited, and you're coming on, and you're like, well, how about that Lakers trade, right? (laughs) Anybody, everybody looks at the Pacers from the vantage point through the lens of the Lakers. It's like, no, let's look at the Pacers through the lens of the Pacers. They're, They're actually really fun to watch. They're extremely well coached. They take great threes. Halliburton, meanwhile, is extraordinary. His pacing is unbelievable for someone who's 21 or 22 years old. I think he has a chance to for sure be a 50, 40, 90 guy at some point in his career. And and he's leading the league in assists by far. Uh, and he creates these, he's, he's probably the lead reason why they take and make all these threes. Like the Buddy Heald number on threes is totally sustainable. I mean, he's, he, he could shoot even better than that. He's Buddy Heald, but like he creates so many threes with his pacing and with his ability to create these spot up shots. It's, it's amazing to watch him come around like pick and rolls and stuff. Well, and that's kind of what was at the root of the question for me, Fred, is that idea that, you know, again, like Slater said, we're writing about the Halliburton Sabonis deal. And so I'm looking at Tyrese's season and almost preemptively being disappointed for the young guy, because if they do a trade like the Lakers one or another, like if they do break it down, you know, it's it's going to have an impact on on you know what he has around him, what he's able to do. Uh, I mean, who knows if they, uh, you know, what deal they do or how where it goes. But it's a weird season where you have all this hype, all this positivity, the type of stuff that I'm sure Pacers fans are enjoying. Not only because they're playing pretty well, but because some of the guys doing it are young enough that you get excited about the future. But then you know it could have a setback in terms of on court uh, here in the next couple of months. I'm just throwing it out there. Yep. Miles Turner feels like he's he's 38 because he's just kind of been on the block on the Pacers for like what 15 years. Yeah, Miles Turner's only 26 years old. No, he's really. It's good. not that. It's not yeah. that crazy if they just want to try to re-sign him. Yeah, I th- yeah, I'm not. I don't have clarity on his plans, but I think it's safe to say that. I mean, if he's out there granting interviews to ESPN about how well he would look, Anal- analyzing or, why the. Lakers should do the Miles Turner trade. That was. That <laughs> I don't was think they have a, a lot of confidence in him. Inside the mind of Miles That's Turner. That's fair. Coming back. All right, we're going to keep it moving uh, on the other side of this break. Uh, gentlemen, what is coming next? Tell the listeners which squad. We're going to do Denver? Want to jump Let's back to the uh, the West? Sure, all we right. can do Denver. Denver I, and all things Jamal Murray. Yeah, that's fine. Slater, no? I kind of wanted to throw Brooklyn as a team I think is going to have an encouraging yeah. month or two ahead. 
Denver first and then Brooklyn. That's called the teaser in the business. We'll be right back. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but you can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Did you know that even if you have a 401k for retirement, you can still have an IRA? Robinhood has the only IRA that gives you a 3% boost on every dollar you contribute when you subscribe to Robinhood Gold. But get this, now through April 30th, Robinhood is even boosting every single dollar you transfer in from another retirement account with a 3% match. That's right, no cap on the 3% match. Robinhood Gold gets you the most for your retirement thanks to their IRA with a 3% match. This offer is good through April 30th. Get started at Robinhood.com boost. Subscription fees apply. And now for some legal info. Claim as of Q1 2024 validated by Radius Global Market Research. Investing involves risk including loss. Limitations apply to IRAs and 401ks. 3% match requires Robinhood Gold for one year from the date of first 3% match. Must keep Robinhood IRA for five years. The 3% matching on transfers is subject to special terms and conditions. Robinhood IRA available to U.S. customers in good standing. Robinhood Financial LLC member SIPC is a registered broker. Dealer. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Terms or restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. All right, guys, we got to jump from uh, east to west here, and then we'll get back to east for Slater's Nets. Um, but, Fred, you piqued my interest with the Jamal Murray discussion. Um, I've always enjoyed covering him. He's an incredible player. Would love nothing more than to see Jamal get back to his bubble status. I know he hates kind of that framing of his story, but it, you know, and, and when I was covering those games in person, I remember talking to Jamal after one of his 50-point outburst uh you know he had the incredible series against utah that was jamal at his best and that was the explosive jamal turn on a dime jamal creative in the lane jamal obviously doing his thing from long range jamal um, and if he can be that guy uh, or something close to it then denver is the title contender that we thought they would be if i was sensing things correctly from you a couple minutes ago you you feel like it's uh it's going in a good direction there fred yes no oh i thought you were talking to slater no, this is your this you, is your you were the Nuggets optimist. This your, yes, this is all you man. I am the Nuggets optimist. Yeah. I, I Jamal Murray before the injury was just so good when he was able to get around those Jokic screens and and pull up. And his pull up jump shooting 
is such a ginormous weapon for that team, right? And and not just the um not just on pick and rolls, right? Also on dribble handoffs. Once he gets that element back and he is just continuing to kill it the way that he did, and I I fully believe that he will, it just adds a totally different element to that offense. I mean, that that has the potential to be the best offense in the NBA with Jokic's passing and scoring, Murray's off the dribble abilities, and then obviously Porter out there as well. I just I feel like the pull up shooting is gonna is gonna change is gonna change everything when he starts hitting like he was before. And Sam, like, do you disagree? I feel like that's totally coming. No, I well, I need to watch them a little more closely. Um, you could see it coming a couple of weeks ago when I was diving into the numbers and watching their games. Um, I think he'll get there. And honestly, it's interesting to me because I feel like Jamal and Clay Thompson, and, and feel free to add a name or two if anybody comes to mind for you guys, are on this list of players right now where you know they don't get enough grace when it comes to the way we discuss them based on the injuries that they overcame you know clay obviously had the back-to-back injuries and and with good timing my phone just buzzed and i had a tweet uh shout out howard beck had retweeted this um clay thompson last five games 24 points per game 56 from long range i only bring clay up to kind of show that you know these guys that fight their way through physical stuff like jamal you know it's gonna be fits and starts it's gonna be uh, even emotionally challenging for them. We've seen a lot of that with Clay, where he's almost, you know, kind of raging at anybody who dares to doubt, you know, what direction his game is going. Jamal has not been quite as emotive, but I guarantee you that that stuff is going on internally for him. And and they have a lot on the line. If you go back to last year's playoffs, so we've talked about this before on the pod. Um, I think it's so interesting that Jamal has since opened up publicly about the fact that, you know, physically he was able to play in last year's playoffs. And that's why at the time I reported that he looked like he was nearing his comeback. And But the mental part of it, again, that we've seen Clay go through and guys like that, the mental part was too much. And he didn't want to be finding his way, you know, fighting around screens without the same pop as he had before, stuff like that in the middle of a playoff series. And so it has taken longer. And now it seems like, you know, kind of what you're saying is, is he starting to get it back? And uh, as much as I enjoyed watching peak Jokic when he had to do everything the past couple of years just because of the situation, uh, that's not championship level basketball. And, and if Jamal can be Jamal, then, then that is what they have. Jokic has also taken a break with the scoring this year, too. Like it's, 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 yeah, he's been great, and the advanced stats are like still off the chart with him, and he still could just um, backseat as a as a as a scorer right now. I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with that. I just I feel like Denver has another gear. For the most part, I normally don't believe in off switch on switch teams that haven't actually won the title before. You know, like I've covered teams. Like I've covered OKC teams. Although Memphis comes to mind. I feel like Memphis operates that way, even though they haven't really won anything. I feel like the Grizzlies do some of that. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, but that's that's more injury-related stuff as opposed to just cruise control stuff. Like they just haven't been healthy. They've had Jaron Jackson out and, you know, they've had Dylan Brooks out and they've just had injury stuff. And now they have Bane out. Uh, but but I think like with, with Denver, I... I see it. I see I see Murray jumping up a level. I see playoff Jokic, which is normally totally a thing. Porter's, you know, they're taking it easy with Porter. Who is and Aaron Gordon, by the way, has really fit in 
wonderfully with that team this year. I think he's playing the exact way that that I think you idealized Aaron Gordon, especially as a cutter at this point. He just looks so comfortable cutting next to Jokic. But but Murray's the key. Like if Murray can be a second best caliber player, a second best player of the caliber of a championship level team that you think he can be, then you know that's the key. I have Slater. No deep Denver thoughts, but I'm ready to get to Brooklyn if you want. Well, before we jump, just in for the sake of context, because I just peeked at it, you know, you talk about Jamal finding his way. Uh, 16.4 points at this point, shooting a, a 42%, you know, certainly below his career numbers and and well below the 47-7 that he had um, in the bubble season. Or I guess that's the season after bubble. Um, what are we looking at? Then we got five assists, you know, and, and 3.9 boards. So he's finding his way. But, you know, peak Jamal, again, was 21.2 points a game. So uh, it'll be fun to see him just keep fighting his way back. All right, Slater, I think we're going to finish with these Nets. Uh, We just can't stop talking about them, so I guess we're not. Don't worry, Fred, we're not going to officially talk about the Lakers. That's not going to be a topic this week. But the Nets, uh, you talk about flipping the switch, and, and they've had their own injury stuff. They've had Kyrie stuff in and out. Uh, but my goodness, you know, you, you watch them one night and it's, you know, a damn near an embarrassing effort. And then the next night they look pretty solid. So so how do you see uh, the direction for these Nets? Yeah, I mean, you were you remember the day you're talking to I'm sure you remember talking to Ben Simmons, uh, <laughs> you know, in Sacramento. Yes, I do, in fact. And um, I would, you know, just looking at his Wouldn't game. Wouldn't it be log, incredible if we Sam just... just didn't remember that at all? <laughs> just had absolutely um, no recollection. You mean but, Ben Simmons, whose uh, godfather is the Sacramento State men's basketball coach? Okay, there's my weekly Sac State name drop. There we go. Okay, continue. There you go. Yeah. Um, I remember looking at his game log. I think that night, because we were both at the game, they lost to the Kings 153-121. But Ben Simmons, to that point, you know, points-wise, over the this was like, what, the first eight, nine games or so, was four, six, seven, four, seven, nine, two, six, two, like barely shooting at all, barely making an impact, like in pretty much every measurable way. Um, but that night like that they got night? absolutely blown out, we remember there was like, oh, like, well, at least Ben Simmons looked okay. That was like kind of the yeah, yeah. lone, you know, I guess silver lining for Brooklyn that night. And ever since then, He's, you know, you don't want to say erupted offensively because a, a Ben Simmons offensive volcano is not exactly, you know, a fearsome one. But he had 11 that night against the Kings, and then he went six straight games in double figures, 15, 22, 11, 14, 20. He had a 7 of 9 game recently and a win in Toronto, an 8 of 8 game, 20 points uh, against the Pacers. Uh, he's just looking a little bit more like the old Ben Simmons. And that Fred, just don't adds you love how he's leaving out desperate. last night's Portland performance. Don't you love how Slater's not mentioning the uh, thirty-four minute one for three, two well, how point. About, you know, how about the one eleven ninety-seven win over the Blazers that included twelve Ben Simmons rebounds, eight assists, three yes, steals. I'm just and saying, holding, you're talking about and, scoring and holding the Blazers as a team to ninety-seven points. That's a pretty Indeed. good defensive effort. It is. I was I'm, trying to. I'm nitpicking. You know, you're you're correct, but. This is a grander conversation about Ben Simmons playing better. Kyrie Irving obviously back in the fold at this point. Seth Curry's kind of in and out, but he's just appearing a little bit more. Uh, and Kevin Durant remains like what a top top five player. Like that doesn't seem to be slowing down. No, nope. they, you know, for predicting things, right? That's what this is all about. They're sitting low play in right now. I think they're going to be a playoff team, and I feel like that's probably. I don't want to say it's a controversial opinion, but like that's 
very unknown at this point, and I'm predicting playoff team. I think I'm with you there, and then at minimum, it's going to create you know a, a you know a, a an energetic playoff discussion about how I mean you know the narrative at that point. Oh, you know this is why they play the game, and even with the bad chemistry and the bad vibes and all the different issues they've been through, that they've got the talent to beat anybody in the playoffs if if they get their hole. Um, so we'll talk about them until the end. And and I would agree. I do not see them falling out of the playoff picture. He's been much better defensively. I mean, Slater, you touched on it a little bit. I think the thing with him is like their whole defense is banked on the fact that Ben Simmons can do everything. Like that is their entire defensive strategy because Nick Claxton can be solid, but he gets pushed around and, you know, they're playing Simmons a lot at the five with, with guards and wings around him. And, and ultimately their best lineup is going to have to include Joe Harris, Katie and Kyrie, obviously Ben Simmons, and probably another shooter out there, whether it's Seth Curry or, or somebody else, like they, they are going to need all those guys on the floor and then just have everybody run around. Simmons has been so much better defensively. He's been so much more physical. The, he was he was over fouling like crazy in the early season. That's not happening as much anymore. He's moving more fluidly. He's guarding guys on the perimeter and actually sticking with them, not getting driven by. He he got blown by so much early in the year. It just looks so out of character and weird for someone who's as great as him defensively. Uh, I just think he looks so much more comfortable. He looks like someone who had a back injury and now has a back that's feeling. Uh, Same thing we were talking about with Jamal Murray and Clay, right? Yeah, like yeah, yeah. give him time. Totally. Yeah, and there's not yeah, there's really not much grace uh really in the conversation around any of them, I don't think. Uh or not enough, I would argue. I mean, and Ben in particular, you know, I saw some television stuff recently with national commentators, you know, just glossing over the the uh the injuries that he had been on. Fred has to get out of here in a moment. So uh, my last thought on that point, guys, is that they are nineteenth in defensive rating. Um and that is a marked improvement from the bottom of the barrel that they were just a couple weeks ago. I think uh, I lost track of it here. I think they're sitting there at 14th in uh, in net rating. So they've got some promise, and uh, and we'll see where they take it. Um, all right, gentlemen, I'm gonna let y'all get out on that note. Appreciate you. It'll be fun to uh, you know. I'm sure we'll go back and and see if these predictions were correct by the end of the year, right? We always keep score and. And keep ourselves accountable? No, not necessarily. We didn't even get the promised <laughs> Lakers segment. I know. Well, we were a little brief today. I mean, Do you want to squeeze wanna, it in at I the mean, end here? I can, Fred is leaving, and I can clear the floor for you. You might even get out of a fine if Fred's not on the on the. Fred, call. get out of here. It's That's Lakers true. time. I'm, before, before I bounce, I'm just preemptively fining Sam, just like a, just an overall amount. He's He's got to Venmo me $57. And then he can just talk about the Lakers all he wants while I'm I will do nothing of the sort. I've petitioned to the athletic to get a raise solely based on Fred's fines. This is not acceptable. This was not part of the deal. You're getting nothing. If you check, there is nothing in your contract that says that I can't find you every time you talk about the Lakers. There's nothing. That is probably accurate. I did not get that worked into my deal. (laughs) All right, brother. We'll talk to you soon. And uh, and Slater and I are going to wrap it up on the Lakers front. All right, brother. Um, man, I don't know. Are the Lakers going to turn it around? They look better. I kind of like the way they responded when LeBron was out. Uh, you know, and Anthony Davis finding his way. B. 
being the guy that everybody knew that he needed to be going into the season. He was not that guy for the first month. Uh, as we sit here talking, heading into their Pacers game, they've won five out of six. The, you know, jokes aside, we have taken quite a turn in terms of the way we talk about the Lakers because Russell Westbrook was, I think, you know, rightfully so discussed as, you know, like on the list of Lakers problems, there was Russ and then there was a big gap before the number two reason. And that's just not the case anymore. Of course, his shooting numbers are still down. It's not pretty when you look across the board at his production, but he has by and large been part of the solution in that six-man role. And I kind of loved, I think Chris Haynes dropped this the other day on a TNT telecast that, that Darvin Ham, their first year coach, had had partly pitched Russ on this role as a sixth man by saying that, you know, it was going to be Russell in the Westbrooks, which I, I think is genius because it, it kind of just, I think, resonates with the way Russ thinks. Like if you tell him that he has possession of that second unit and he can be the guy there, then that might awake the part of him that has been the guy everywhere else for his entire career. So, you know, they're they're banged up and uh and, and again LeBron's been dealing with issues and, and A D as well, but you know, looking a whole lot better. They're seven and eleven right now. Man, it is nice to play the San Antonio Spurs three times out of yeah, four right. games right now. Right. And the Pistons. That's I mean, look, you mentioned five of six. Their five wins are Nets, Pistons, Spurs, Spurs, Spurs. Yep. Um, but I will say a lot of their early season trouble. What, what do they get off to like two and eleven or whatever it was? Two and um, ten. Yeah, two and ten. They had a really tough schedule to start, so like it's balancing out. Um, but I think as we note a turnaround, it's also like the Spurs are losing to everybody these days, and they happen to just be playing the Lakers every other day. It seems like right now. Yeah, and those you know I'm trying to look. They, those have mostly been you know some tight games in there. We'll see. I mean the Pacers tonight. It's a tough game. They got Portland on Wednesday. And then Milwaukee, tough one, and and on the road for let's see, uh, one, two, three, four, six game road trip coming up. So we'll see what becomes of the Lakers. If we're talking about predicting turnarounds, you know, at this point, it's are they going to make the playoffs? Is the only question with them. And I'm not sure at this point, to be honest with you, because the way we've broken down the West and made it so clear with the Minnesotas and the Sacramentos and all these different teams, even the Dallases, which is you know flirting with with non playoff position right now. Um, it's becoming more and more real that a, a squad like the Lakers, even with some of the talent they have, could be on the outside looking in. Yeah, the only, I guess, saving grace for the Lakers or any team in the West, you know, covering the Warriors, I've seen this with the Warriors that, you know, as bad a start as they had, it was like, man, they're really not that far away from first. They're not that far away from sixth, you know, because everybody is just clumped with with the amount of losses where right now the Lakers are 7-11, uh, you know, 11 losses. Well, you go up to the Clippers at the five seed right now, they're 12-9. and nine. They're two losses behind the Clippers. Like, it is so early and everyone is so close together. Uh, you know, oh, you thought early, Utah was a great story early on. Portland is, well, Utah's now 12-10. and 10. Portland's now 11-9. and nine. They, You know, Utah's lost four in a row. You know, uh, well, I'm looking in uh, the last 10 for, for Portland, they're four and six. Like it's just everybody's packed packed in there. So could they make the playoffs? Like I think the path is there, but you need a healthy LeBron for a majority of the season. More and more, that's becoming a bigger question mark, um, and probably a move and a move that you still don't have clarity if they're actually going to ever pull the trigger or not on. Um, so we'll see. 
Yeah, I mean, the power games within that are going to be worth monitoring, too, because there is clearly, I think, a bit of a divide uh, from the players to the front office to ownership regarding, you know, what sort of move would be worth doing, what sort of move would be worth paying a certain price for, the question about LeBron and, and the idea that you just can't waste any of, you know, his later stages here at all because, you know, on paper, we've talked about it before, there's that argument to be made to punt this season and get to the summer when you're going to have, you know, access to three first round picks and all that cap room that would help them out. So um, if, if they are in the mix, like they are right now, which, you know, this is the wild part, you're five and a half games out of the top spot in the West. I mean, I know it sounds crazy, but you know, if they somehow rattled off a six, seven game winning streak, you know, they'd be sitting there in a top four spot more than likely. So if that happened or anything close to it, then guarantee you internally the pressure is going to be applied to Rob Palenka and Jeannie Buss to, to go get something done roster-wise. And, uh, and and those are the dynamics in play here. Yeah, I mean, but it's like, do we really believe this roster is good enough where it's one move away from like legitimate contention? And that does seem to be the threshold of like, do you put the both, you know, those first-round picks, future first, on the table? It's like, well, if you start to believe like, oh, there's a contender – built within this it just needs like a little you know tune up a little boost no no like that that doesn't although i will say i've turned a little bit on this because man like miles turner and buddy hield are balling out and and i almost wonder at this point a like we talked about before hold on i see i see you coming i'm I'm liking this (laughs) the lakers are are a miles turner buddy no my only point is it is that those two guys, and I know this is an unpopular opinion in my backyard, in our backyard in Sacramento. You know, if neighbor John listens to this podcast, he'll go lose his mind over over anything positive regarding Buddy Hill because he drove him and a lot of other fans crazy during his time in Sacramento. But he's st- he's shooting the lights out again. That's exactly what the Lakers need. You know, far and away a, a better shooter than any guy they have on their team. And LeBron, I think Dave McMenamin uh, had this in a piece today at ESPN about how LeBron's uh, the three point percentage for guys that he's finding open looks for in the league. I think he might lead the league, and and you know, just his teammates not hitting open threes that he creates. So, but enter Buddy Hield, that's going to help in a major way. Miles Turner, like you know, Fred said earlier, still younger than most people assume. Um, incredible rim protector and a guy who on the scoring side, you know, not even averaging 30 minutes a game is scoring at a really high clip and having a career year. And that's, those are two impact players that I don't, you know, you can never all the way predict how it would look if they jump on a new team, but I think it would help the Lakers a lot. The question then becomes, like we said earlier, are the Pacers ready to actually still give up those guys? Are they still looking for the same asking price? You know, is two first get it done? Cause the Lakers felt like that was, uh, too steep before they were hoping that that price would go down but just basketball wise i think I, I my opinion has shifted a bit there i think miles and buddy would help the lakers quite a bit they'd help them quite a bit but they'd help anybody quite a bit i just don't think they put them over the top and like i don't i, like, I don't view them as but if you're player. lebron it goes back to that discussion all right well who's which player coming out of the 2027 draft is going to help lebron at all well that's you know that's yeah. the you know, I guess, uh, or are you going to get, I guess, clashing motives where it's like, you know, 
in the LeBron even wants to fight for a six or you know five or six seed. I'm sure right now. But if you're the Lakers, like, is it worth mortgaging the future beyond for a five or six seed? No, it's not. But is there enough of a franchise backbone to like hold off? I don't. Know. Yeah. Not- Do you want to deal with LeBron being you know not in a good place? within your your franchise i think that's where this could be headed if they do nothing yeah well the uh what december 15th is the uh date where all people who sign contracts in the yeah, offseason are eligible are, to be traded correct yeah all bottom line all the scenarios open up and and the, the phones start ringing quite a bit more than before um so a lot more guys will be in play a lot more to talk about down the road. I'm going to let you go with that, my friend. Uh, you and I, I think. Are you joining me out at the old Golden One this evening? No, I will be there Wednesday night for the big Sabonis the big against Halliburton game. clash. Right. Very good. We'll see you on Wednesday. Thank you, as always, to the listeners. We'll talk to you next week. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.